You're listening to Messy Jesus Business, a podcast about radical gospel living. Hi, everyone. I'm Sister Julia Walsh, a writer, spiritual director, and jail minister living in Chicago. Welcome to The Mess. At Messy Jesus Business, we explore how the mess of radical gospel living brings disciples into a life of struggle as we advocate for social justice, live simply, serve others, practice contemplation, and live in community. And now, on to our guest. Lisa Deem has a PhD in medieval art history and began her career in academia. She later transitioned to writing and is now an author in spiritual formation. Her writing is geared toward helping Christians see how history can be a living part of their faith. Deem is the author of 3,000 Miles to Jesus, Pilgrimage as a Way of Life for Spiritual Seekers a book that invites readers into the adventures of spiritual pilgrimage. She also hosts The Contemplative Writer, a website providing soul care for writers and people of faith. When not roaming the Middle Ages, Deem lives in the Charlotte, North Carolina area with her family. In today's episode, Lisa Deem and I talk about pilgrimage as a spiritual practice and discipleship as a journey. We discuss the paradoxes of faith and being a contemplative, where we are called to be in the moment, while also moving toward God. And we share how loving history and being part of the church is relational, messy work. Enjoy! Hi, Lisa. Welcome to Messy Jesus Business. Thank you. Thank you for having me on your show. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you here. And I'm uh, really excited to hear about your new book. Congratulations. Congratulations on your new book. Thank you yeah. so much. Let's let's start right with the book. Why don't you tell us all about it and then we'll get into you and your story and and okay. all the other things that kind of come up as we discuss okay. medieval spirituality and pilgrimage. Great. Yeah. Well, this book is um wow, it just came out like 2 weeks ago from when you and I are talking right now. So that's that's crazy. It's been <laughs> a fun journey. So it's called 3000 Miles to Jesus. Pilgrimage as a Way of Life for Spiritual Seekers. So the book takes readers on a journey with three pilgrims who in the 15th century are making their way to Jerusalem on foot. And as we follow their journey and travel with them and reach our destination, we learn an important spiritual truth that all of life is a pilgrimage. Is it a fiction book? As you describe it, it almost sounds like a novel. Oh, well, yeah, I did describe it that way a little bit. No, it is nonfiction. It's spiritual, a book of spiritual formation. Mm-hmm. And you're right. I I like to have not a novelistic approach. I just want to be as creative as I can, even when writing nonfiction and spiritual formation. So I really, I wanted to write about pilgrimage, but I didn't want to just have chapters on lessons that we can learn from pilgrimage, even though that's the book does have lessons and that that's a great approach. I wanted to really kind of try to take us on a journey in the book, right? So the book is kind of a journey that we take from start to finish. 
and it during the writing it I just kind of realized that there were three main pilgrims that sort of emerged um, as and became kind of guides and companions. So in my writing, I began to focus more on them and to think of it as kind of following them along their journey. So it is like a story in that way, in that we're, we're getting to know these three characters and following them and taking a journey ourselves, but it's not fiction. So they're historical figures. They are real figures. Yeah. Can you tell mm -hmm. us a little bit about the three people you focus on? Yeah. One, I think a lot of people might might know. Her name is Marjorie Kemp, and she is like an early 15th century laywoman and mystic. And I think a lot of people are might be somewhat familiar with her. Um, she had dramatic visions and was very... Um, kind of emotional and passionate about her faith. And that's kind of how she writes about her pilgrimage too. So that's a lot of fun. And the other two probably are not so familiar. They were not to me before I started researching and writing. One is named Pietro Casola, and he's a 15th century Italian canon. So he made the journey from Italy to the Holy Land, to Jerusalem. And then the third is Felix Fabri. And there's been a lot of books written about him, but probably more from a slightly academic perspective. He is, uh, was a, um, a Dominican friar, Swiss, but living in Germany. And he wrote um, about his journey and he wrote just tons and tons. He has so many great stories. Um, he, he wanted to keep a record for his brethren back home in the convent. And he just was voluminous in his writing. So it was really fun to, to see what he was all about. So those are our three main people. I'd love to hear an excerpt of okay. before um, we get into how you ended up writing. This. No, sure. Now, this excerpt is going to focus more on us than on the three 15th century pilgrim guides, because as we follow along with them, like I said, I, I really try to bring it back to what this tells us about our own identity as pilgrims. So the excerpt I'm going to read comes in a chapter on Sail the Sea, where the, the pilgrims got in a boat in Venice and sailed across the Mediterranean Sea to the Holy Land. And it was often very stormy, and they met pirates sometimes. It was quite an adventure. That just sets the stage a little bit. I'm going to kind of start in the middle of a paragraph about how in the Middle Ages, people took this journey across the sea, but spiritual writers also wrote about what crossing the sea means in more metaphorical terms. Okay. Mm -hmm. And one of those is a Cistercian monk in the 14th century. And he wrote a poem called The Pilgrimage of Human Life. And now I'm going to start my excerpt. And the poem describes the lifelong quest of the narrator, Pilgrim, to reach the heavenly Jerusalem. Before he sets out, Pilgrim learns the nature of his path. You want to go to Jerusalem, his guide tells him. And to get there, you must cross the great sea. The great sea is this world. And it is full of many troubles, tempests, and torments, great storms, and winds. As spiritual pilgrims, we, you and I, know the storms to which this poet alludes. Adversity, unforeseen circumstances, uncertainty in our lives and the world. Many storms rage within us as well. Recall, earlier in the chapter, that according to the cloud of unknowing, the sea is a place of transformation where we feel tossed about by the ungentle winds of spiritual growth. The sea challenges us precisely because it is a changeable in-between space in our life. 
and it is a large space, one where so much of the spiritual journey is lived. We can't get home without crossing it. Sometimes I doubt I will successfully make this crossing. Out there in the open sea, I have no sight of land, only wind-tossed waves. It's easy to feel that God has abandoned me. The pilgrim mentors with whom we're journeying sometimes felt the same. It takes all our faith and then some to believe in the goodness of God amid the rolling waves. By calling on others who weather the storms with me, friends, church, and the great cloud of witnesses of times past, I am able to remember that one day the storms will pass. One day all will be well, and the good work begun in me will be brought to completion. On the sea, in the cloud of unknowing, I hold on to this truth like an anchor, although one that has been hoisted so that my ship can speed on its way. And I sail on in faith and sometimes doubt, reaching out for a land I cannot see. Thank you, Lisa. That's so lovely. And there's so much that I connect to in what you're, you're stating, what you've read in your excerpt there. And my, I can see how your work would really nourish a lot of people in their spiritual journeys. In fact, I'll just share with you that even though I've lived in landlocked states, right? I live in Chicago now. I grew up in Iowa. So pretty far from the ocean. <laughs> uh, the ocean is a really powerful spiritual metaphor for me. And when I was a novice, I had this prayer experience, this reflection time where I started to think about how God's love is like the ocean, or maybe God himself, it, God is an ocean, and felt this um, experience and contemplation of like craving to that I could go to the deep sea of the ocean and be where the bioluminescent uh, sea creatures lived. <laughs> like that's how oh, deep I would be in God's love. So anyway, it's a beautiful excerpt and that's where you. your, your passage brought me to. And I think it also says so much about how pilgrimage in general and in the spiritual journey even more specifically, is is really an experience of all of us entering into the unknown, isn't it? Oh my gosh, it is. Yes. Mm -hmm. It's one of the, um, well, sort of one of the paradoxes of pilgrimage, that mm -hmm. we have this in life, this great destination awaiting for us, where mm -hmm. God is waiting for us at the end of the road. And so we know we have this wonderful thing ahead of us. And yet so much of it is the unknown, like we can't see right in front of us. And it feels like maybe that we're not on the right path because it does feel very unknown. Mm. So it's like persevering through the uncertainty because you have the faith that there's something, something yes, ahead. Right. If you look really, really far ahead in the distance, you mm -hmm. know, you have this, this destination awaiting you. Mm -hmm. But yeah, you have to look really far ahead and, and really have faith that it's there waiting for you um, across the sea mm -hmm. and, and all these other places that, that the pilgrimage takes us. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And for those who might not have ever studied or thought about pilgrimage before, uh, perhaps, you know, their own, what comes to mind for them is simply like the pilgrims on the Mayflower. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Yes. So, so how do you define pilgrimage? What is pilgrimage and why write about it? I define it as a, basically a sacred journey mm -hmm. or a journey to a, um, a holy place and for many cultures and in many times, it has been a really important spiritual practice, right? a physical practice where you, where you take off from your home and you journey towards 
a sacred site that you really need to be near. For example, in the Middle Ages, pilgrims would make the effort to go all the way to Jerusalem from somewhere in Europe because they wanted to be where Jesus walked and they wanted to worship there and hopefully draw closer to him there. So in a pilgrimage, the journey is very important as they walked and sailed long distances to get there. And they were also headed to a really specific place to Mm. worship or seek healing. I write about it because when I started getting a little more into pilgrims' journeys, it really reminded me of what the Bible says about how all of us are pilgrims. It made me think about that that passage from Hebrews. I think it's Hebrews 11, the passage about the great cloud of witnesses. And the author of Hebrews says that they and and we are, are all on our way to a better country, mm. you know, that this earth is not our home, and that God has prepared a city for us at the end. And so according to the Bible, you know, we have this pilgrim identity where we're always journeying till we get to the end of the road. And just reading about the medieval pilgrims. And I I think it would be interesting to do pilgrims from other eras and other cultures too. But just the the way they embarked on these adventurous journeys to reach a specific goal really reminded me of that passage from Hebrews and made me think, how do we take our pilgrimage? What is it like? Are we risking as much as they did? You know, if we look at them, can we see what kind of faith and commitment it takes to embark on this amazing journey? So that's kind of what inspired me. Mm-hmm. And for you, what is the final destination? <laughs> well, for me, I am thinking of it in this in this context and in this book as Jerusalem, mm-hmm. simply because, you know, for me, that resonates with what scripture tells us about what our, our destination is in mm-hmm. life, that we're all on the way to the heavenly city. You know, that made sense um, to me then to study Jerusalem pilgrimage, to, you know, because it kind of makes us think about our journey of life. Mm-hmm. And it's not the only way to think about what our destination might be. You know, maybe mm-hmm. we are in a season of life trying to reach a certain spiritual goal, and that can be conceived of as our destination. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't have to be the very end of the road, Jeru- mm-hmm. you know, Jerusalem, but I like to think of it that way when I, when I think about my life as a Christian. Mm-hmm. I'm actually fascinated that you went to Jerusalem when you talk, talked about where you think your life is going, your life as a pilgrim, mm-hmm. pilgrim because I suppose I expected you to say heaven. So many Christians would talk about heaven is is the goal and the destination. I guess you're right. It, it must be all the medieval things, or maybe I'm talking about that as sort of one and the same a little mm-hmm. bit. But I think I think in the Middle Ages, at least in the pilgrimage context, that really is what they mean. That is the end of the road where God is waiting for us, where Jesus has prepared this house of many rooms. You know, they really thought of it as as Jerusalem, the heavenly city. And, you know, then saw an echo of that in Jerusalem on earth, the, the medieval city. So you're right. I, I do tend to think of that as my destination, hmm. kind of like a, a little medieval person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And preparing for this interview, I was doing a little reflection on my own experiences as a pilgrim uh, mm-hmm. in, I think, I think it was 20... 14, I get my years mixed up nowadays. I went on a, a pilgrimage to Italy, uh, and wow. including Assisi. 
And in 2017, during Holy Week, I walked the English route of the Camino with some other Thank sisters you. in my community community mm-hmm. as well. And anyway, so both of those experiences were physical. They were tiring, right? They were spiritual. They were formative, informative. Like I learned a lot. And <laughs> there was a lot of knowledge, a lot of experience, a lot of exposure. Um, but it really was an experience in my spiritual life of just putting one foot in front of the other. And and so really just being in the holy now in the moment. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it is that paradox. I think what you're talking about of like, we're going somewhere and yet this is, this moment is all we have. That's true. Right. Mm -hmm. It's trying to keep those in balance. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And boy, that must've been an amazing experience to walk part of the Camino. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was incredible. And I I think I learned a lot about myself from the experience. Did the three pilgrims that you studied in your book, did you discover that they learned things about who they were as people as well? I think some of them did. You know, a lot of the pilgrims were anonymous to us and we don't, we don't know, but the ones that we do know in their writing, they, yeah, they do talk about that. So Marjorie Kemp went to Jerusalem and had this, she says in her, in her autobiography, this amazing vision of the crucified Christ when she was in Calvary Chapel in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. And after that, she had this really emotional experience while having that vision with lots of tears and and falling down on the ground. And she says that after that, she really was, well, we would call it maybe the gift of tears. I don't know if she uses the term gift, but that the tears would come upon her whenever she thought of the passion or whenever God wished to send them. And that she even saw Christ suffering in other people and even in animals. Now, I think that Marjorie was known for weeping even before her Jerusalem trip, but it seems to have increased her ability to see Christ suffering in, in other people. And Felix Fabri, our Dominican friar friend, he writes that scripture is opened to someone who reads it while they're in Jerusalem at the mm-hmm. holy sites and that pilgrimage is a means of of self-knowledge. So mm-hmm. I think they did go expecting to be well like you say for it to be formative mm-hmm. to change them or just you know inform them spiritually in some mm-hmm. way. Yeah, pilgrimage is definitely transformational. So mm-hmm. I think it is one of the overlook spiritual practices of our time. Oftentimes people think okay, holiness go meditate, say your rosaries, make sure you're Mm -hmm. attending church. And all those practices are very good and holy, (laughs) definitely and helpful. But I think pilgrimage and praying with our feet and and remembering Mm -hmm. that we're called to embody our faith physically, right, is also key to to growing. I could talk about this forever. It's so fun. How did you end up becoming a scholar and a writer who focuses on medieval Christianity? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a good question. That journey really began in graduate school Mm -hmm. when I when I did begin studying late medieval art history from an academic standpoint, I just liked the art so much. And I ended up not staying in academia, but the art and the history I studied really stayed with me. I didn't want to give that part up. In fact, it was it began speaking to me really about my faith sort of after I left academia. So I began really tentatively writing about some of the the art and figures uh, that I'd studied from a faith perspective, like my own faith, and began writing that a little bit more and more. Do you mind if I ask right now what your Mm -hmm. religious background is? Yeah, I grew up um, in the Presbyterian church, Mm. actually. So 
I guess, you, you know, the Middle Ages, it's kind of like, it was kind of like another religious education for me, hmm. you know, having grown up Protestant. But it didn't seem, it didn't really phase me or strike me as unusual or odd. Um, because I, like it might, if, if one had grown up in a Protestant background, but somehow it, it seemed, it seemed to really help my faith. And some of these people I had studied or the works of art, they really became like like teachers or companions to me. Maybe it's just my deep love of history that, you know, made this so alive to me. You know, for whatever reason, it, it seems like God used that to, you know, help me with my faith. And, and then I just, then I started writing more and more until I was, you know, I'm trying to focus now on, on writing spiritual formation, but through the lens of history, usually to see, you know, how this history of our faith can help us really just in our daily journey. Yeah. There's a lot here that's interesting to me because it sounds like there was a resonance for you in the characters and the art that you encountered in through scholarship. And yet you say that your faith was strengthened by this. Mm -hmm. How? What is faith? And how was it strengthened? I think it was strengthened because I think it provides a deeper connection for me. And what I mean is I think faith so often goes beyond words and beyond our ability to really understand it or even to really write about it, even though I think we, we, we have to try to write about it. But, you know, faith, it goes beyond that. And so for me, when I looked at a visual image, and one big example for me are some of the medieval maps that showed Jerusalem at the center of the world. And one of them, the Hereford map, shows not only Jerusalem at the center, but Christ on the cross. Hmm. And he's at the center of the circular world. And so it's this image of Jesus holding the whole world together. Hmm. And you, you can almost picture it sort of rotating around him, like he's the linchpin of the world. And it's this very cosmic vision and something about it, probably because it's it's visual, and it just seems so utterly to speak of the grandeur of God beyond words somehow. And even when I'm talking about something that's more about words, like Pilgrim's Journeys that you read about because they wrote travel guides, even that conjures up an image. Like, well, this is an image of our faith, sort of, like a you know, in a metaphorical sense. So something about that, having a, a metaphorical or visual way, gets at our faith at a deeper level for me, that's even beyond or below words, mm. if that makes sense. And then I do have to try to bring that up and write about it using words if yeah, I want to right. share that with others. I know, but it's, right? <laughs> it's like a point of connection, maybe kind of like, like prayer, which doesn't always have to use words, that mm. you just feel overwhelmed by the truth or the grandeur of God mm -hmm. in some the of these images. And the mystery. I'm hearing a lot yes. about mystery there. Yeah. 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 And it also, you know, kind of connects to how I've, I've been with people stargazing in the past and they'll just look up at the sky and especially, you know, when we're deep in the woods and the, the stars are so bright and beautiful and, and they'll, and I'll hear people say things like, this is so amazing. And it's so mysterious. And how can one look at the stars and not have an experience of awe and wonder? And, and, and doesn't that just help you to love God? 
Oh, yes, yes. So, right. When I turn to art, I think it's that experience of wonder that just goes beyond what words can express. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> it's And we're, we're really touching on a lot of the mystery. I know one of the things that you do, in addition to <laughs> writing books about medieval mysteries and medieval Christianity, is, what do you call it, Curate, the contemplative writer website. Mm-hmm. And are frequently offering prayers and meditations and saints from quotes and little reflections and spiritual practices and uplifting the work of other spiritual writers. And and thank you, by the way, for the times you've you've shared my own oh. spiritual writing. It's a beautiful thing. And and perhaps we could just talk about that a little bit. What is contemplation, really? Well, I, first of all, I want to give a shout out to my 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 partner on the contemplative writer, which is Presenta Verma, who's mm-hmm. a, a wonderful poet and writer too, and couldn't do that without her, this website. So the contemplative writer, we kind of say it's resources for living the contemplative life. And what is the contemplative life? So that's a, that's a good question. In narrow terms, I think it's part, or at least used to be part of Lectio Divina. So that after you have meditated on the Bible and prayed, you move into the, a state of, of contemplation, kind of resting wordlessly, maybe, in the, in the presence of God after you've meditated and prayed. So it's a kind of historical practice and prayer. But I like to define it also a little bit more broadly and think of it as someone, you know, who is on the pilgrimage of life and wanting that presence of God and wanting to be heading towards and with God every day. I think of that as sort of a contemplative life. So being a person of faith for you is really about tuning into into God and into the holy. Mm-hmm. It's not like about learning the right beliefs or something like that. Or- right. No, probably not. And about sensing that God is everywhere or, you know, with, with us in everyday life, not just in church or just when we're reading the Bible, that God is, is just here with us in, in the mundane. Yeah. More integrated, right? Less categorical. Mm. Right. And that, again, is, you know, a pretty medieval way to, uh, to approach the faith, a real integration of the sacred and the secular. Oh, they go and, together for the medieval. Yes, school. right. There was no really clear-cut separation. Hmm. And I know that for many of us today, we're trying to live that way, too. So hmm. it's, it's just another just point of inspiration. Hmm. So look to the past a little bit for that. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. Fascinating. Another phrase I've heard you use that I just would like to break open a little bit is spiritual formation. I think your bio even says you're a writer in spiritual formation, which might not be language that's familiar to all our listeners. So what does that mean, spiritual formation writing? I feel like it's, it's writing that helps us on our journey of being formed into the image of Christ. Like to go back to, I think it's Philippians, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ and that we're always being formed and reformed into Christ's image. And that won't fully happen until we see Jesus face to face one day, Mm. but that we're always forming and reforming. Mm. And I think the category of spiritual formation is meant to help us to do that in our daily life. So it's not, yeah, I guess it's not really Bible study necessarily, although it, it involves, I think, a lot of scripture, but, mm-hmm. but that, you know, that process of being, of being made more and more like Jesus. Mm-hmm. I think in the Catholic world, we just tend to call that spiritual reading. 
I like that. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. like, you know, a spiritual director will say, Oh, what, what, how's your spiritual reading going? Or mm-hmm. what are mm-hmm. you doing for your spiritual reading? Kind of this, there uh-huh. tends to be sort of this assumption that, that all of us are reading a book about spirituality and religion in addition oh, to okay. our scripture, yeah. you know? So it's just yeah. sort of, yeah. What, what's, well, what are you doing for your spiritual reading? You yeah. know, and I also, be- I also believe that all kinds of reading could help us Mm-hmm. can be spiritual reading. I love to read fiction. And I think a, a good fiction book, as well as other kinds of reading, can be as formative for me as a specifically spiritual book mm. many times. So yeah, it's all spiritual you. reading. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I know. And actually, my spiritual director usually tells me to just go read poetry. <laughs> oh, possibly. What a good idea. Yeah, because like often, you know, like I'll get way too into the knowledge and the facts and mm-hmm. the information and the analysis, and that will really distract me from listening to my heart. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's yeah. a great idea. Yeah. Anyway, so thank you for clarifying and, mm. and talking about that a little bit. So you've been a medieval uh, scholar for a good amount of time, right? And uh, and a person who's also teaching people about the contemplative life. And so what have you discovered in your work that is applicable for the struggles for our modern times? Well, I feel like one of our struggles today is, and this this touches a little bit on what you and I just discussed, but uh, kind of having lost a little bit of the sense of the mystery and grandeur of God. You know, we live in a, a, an information era, research era, knowledge era, where we can learn and look something up in a matter of seconds. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like a lot about past ages in history, like the medieval era, can help us recover a little bit of, of the, the, the mystery and grandeur of God. Mm-hmm. And so, like I was saying, those those medieval maps that, that show the world as a circle with with Jerusalem and Jesus at the center. That's like such a cosmic of image that just speaks wordlessly of Christ being the center of all things. And what a what a real mystery that is. Looking at that map actually reminds me of, of going out and looking up at the stars, like you just talked about a minute ago. You're just all of a sudden struck by this enormous world we live in. And to think that Jesus is centering it mm. all. Mm-hmm. you know, all the heavens and all the earth. That's, that's amazing. Mm. So that's one thing that that era does for me is mm. point me back towards that grandeur. Mm. I like that word grandeur. Yeah. yeah. You, you know, and, and actually, as you were saying that what came to mind was this memory from when I was doing the Camino and I was walking in the woods and it was, you know, just kind of exhausting <laughs> and it was like rocky and mountainous and but you know shadowy and you, I couldn't really see what was ahead because it was because it was um pretty wooded and then I went around this bend and I came up to the edge of a fence and there was an overlook of a valley and some pilgrims who had walked this path before had taken sticks and stuck them into this wire fronts to make a crop make crosses so the whole fence just kind of was like all these little sticks stuck in making crosses and there was something about the mystery of like who are these people that came before look at how long have these sticks been here look at this valley and it was all just a surprise I didn't know when I came around the corner that that's what I was going to encounter right and it was beautiful And I, and I couldn't stay there either. I never would have made it, made yeah. it to where I was sleeping that night. So the journey, you know, we're, we're, um, 
continually challenged, aren't we, in our relationship with God to keep moving, keep growing, keep developing, keep keep um, yeah. becoming yeah. something new. This is a yeah. constant. And I bet like, all those crosses, that's also that, that you saw, that's also amazing because it just reminds you of, of how many other people are on this pilgrimage with you. You know, I love thinking that I'm on the same journey as Marjorie Kemp in a way. We're all part of this big story. And that's a lot of grandeur too. Like a lineage, you know, somehow mm-hmm. we get to be in this family with all these other people. Yeah. yeah. All these holy people have gone before us. Right. So Lisa, for you, what is discipleship? Well, if I think about discipleship as following Jesus, which is, I think, one of a basic way we can think about it, then I really, I really think of it as a lifelong journey of following Jesus. And I mean, truly, and that's one reason I wrote my book about pilgrimage is because I kind of tend to think in those terms. One in which I am taking steps each day, um, you know, just the steps that I can take for that day. You can't get really too far ahead of yourself. And one with a lot of wrong turns. But when that happens, you know, I know the path is, is always still there waiting for me. And that you know, rejoining the path after a wrong turn, you know, is an experience of growth. But the idea that I'm walking a long path and I I have steps laid out for me each day, to, you know, towards Jesus, but also with Jesus. Hmm. There's that paradox of both yeah. and again. Yes, yes. <laughs> We're going somewhere and yet this is all there is. <laughs> yes. Right, right. Wow. Hmm. So is, that's part of discipleship for you? If we define discipleship in that terms of it's following Jesus, mm-hmm. you want know, kind of following him on this, this big journey. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, that's not the, the only part of discipleship. There's companions on this journey I talked about because no pilgrim walks alone. And so I, I rely on people from the past. So that includes church, friends of the spirit, and all the, the people that have gone before us. And yet you're, let's, let's get uh, practical about this. <laughs> I also, in, in addition to being a creative, contemplative scholar and soul you're also a working mom a librarian <laughs> you're you know you're doing you're doing the normal thing in the year 2021 of of just trying to live your faith out in in this world so how does that work for you and what is messy about all this for you well i think what's messy is just all the things that that throw us off the path or that we can't see but another thing that's messy about thinking about the faith in this way are those tensions that we mentioned. So it's, it's not ever a neat thing. The, you know, the idea that we know our ultimate destination, yet we, like what you said, it's, it's just all we know is right here, right now. You know, and both of those things are true. And, and so when I first started writing about pilgrimage, you know, I, I think I wanted it to be sort of one or the other you know, trying to resolve this. Well, what is it? Which is it? <laughs> but it's both. It's a, mm. It is this tension. It's never going to be like one thing and, and nice and neatly wrapped up. And I came to enjoy exploring the different paradoxes. You know, another one is that, you know, in a real sense, we're on a journey to God, you know, we're seeking him, but at the whole time God is with us and we couldn't get to God without God. <laughs> it's never just one neat little thing. <laughs> you know, right? <laughs> Better not be, or I'm in trouble. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's why I call my, you know, my podcast, my blog, Messy Jesus Businesses, yeah. because I just want to be reassured, every, like once a week, by others. 
<laughs> I love that. <laughs> that, I'm, that. It's okay that I'm a little bit chaotic and messy. Oh gosh. Yeah. I mean, you're on the road. So that's, that's the real reassurance from all this. I think, yeah, we're, yeah. we're on the road and we can't see a lot sometimes. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and in our society, there is such a temptation to perfection and um, mm-hmm. to idealizing holiness and faith as like this, something really pristine and orderly, right? Yeah. <laughs> or that it's easy. It should be oh, right. Just not like a- that difficult. And yet a pilgrimage, if we're going to talk about that as a, a metaphor for faith, you know, nothing, well, you know, you watch the Camino and nothing about a pilgrimage is easy or fast or efficient. It's kind of the opposite of what we're, we're told today to experience all kinds of things, including the faith. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. One other thing that's messy is, you know, I, I do love studying the medieval era and the past, but there's something messy about, about history mm. as well. And I know that sometimes I might idealize the past a little bit. So I want to acknowledge that, well, maybe the best way to say it is um, John Fia, who is a historian and a friend of mine, he once said, history has no heroes. Mm. And so even my favorite parts of history that I turn to again and again have an underside too. It is a very messy business trying to, to, to come to terms with something that you love and have learned from. You know, like so often I point people to say that women mystics of the Middle Ages, you know, quote them, we can learn from them. And yet some of those very mystics were burned at the stake by their contemporaries who were also medieval. So you sort of have this, oh, what do I, what do, I do with that? Um, the temptation to idolize though the past is Mm -hmm. it it does linger and you know and I think you're saying so much about the the way love is messy yeah (laughs) you know and you love history and you see the dark the darkness and the, the hard things about it just as much as the beauty in the same way that I do in in being a part of the church and recognize that the body of believers the history church history is messy and ugly (laughs) as well as beautiful and and full of light and joy and mystery right so all this complexity all this layers it's it is um it's true that that it's the things we love and being in relationship with them is messy hard work isn't it right and i like the way you bring love into it Mm. you know because if we love another person you know we we care for them with all their faults as well as their wonderful qualities. Love <laughs> is messy. You're right. Congratulations once again on your book. Thank you. 3,000 Miles to Jesus, Pilgrimage as a Way of Life for Spiritual Seekers. Broadleaf is a publisher. You can find it on Broadleaf's website or Amazon or any online place that books are sold. Mm-hmm. And where can they follow your work and learn more about you and the contemplative writer? You can visit lisadeem.com, my website, or thecontemplativewriter.com. And I also love to hang out at Twitter, at Lisa K. Deem. I think that's how we first met, actually. (laughs) I think it is. I've met many wonderful people on Twitter, so come on over and let's talk there. Oh, thank you, Lisa. That seems like a good place to end it. And I'm so thankful (laughs) that you came on Messy Jesus Business. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me.
invite you to join me in this contemplative moment. A reading from Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 3 and 7 through 16. Faith is the realization of what is hoped for and evidence of things not seen. Because of it, the ancients were well attested. By faith, we understand that the universe was ordered by the word of God so that what is visible came into being through the invisible. By faith, Noah warned about what was not yet seen, with reverence built an ark for the salvation of his household. Through this, he condemned the world and inherited the righteousness that comes through faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. He went out, not knowing where he was to go. By faith, he sojourned in the promised land, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and maker is God. By faith, he received power to generate, even though he was past the normal age, and Sarah herself was sterile. For he thought that the one who made the promise was trustworthy. So it was that there came forth from one man, himself as good as dead, descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sands on the seashore. All these died in faith. They did not receive what had been promised, but saw it and greeted it from afar, and acknowledged themselves to be strangers and aliens on earth. For those who speak thus show that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land from which they had come, they would not have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better homeland, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. That's it for this episode of Messy Jesus Business. Thanks for listening. Messy Jesus Business is produced and hosted by me, Sister Julia Walsh, and edited by Cherish Bedzinski. You can find us online at MessyJesusBusiness.com and on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Patreon. If you like what you heard, please be sure to mention our podcast to your friends and followers. And we'd love to have your support via Patreon. From the bottom of our hearts and the middle of the mess, thank you. Messy Jesus Business is produced in partnership with the Franciscan Sisters of Perpetual Adoration. You can learn more about our religious community and donate to our mission at www.fspa.org. I'm Sister Julia Walsh, and I'll catch up with you next time. Until then, peace and all good. Peace.